Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. On this week's episode, Christina and I are interviewing Becca King, who is a registered dietitian nutritionist who is passionate about helping adults with ADHD who struggle with binge eating, chronic dieting, and body image issues to find food freedom and improve their self-esteem. So Christina and I have been discussing the connection between disordered eating patterns and ADHD in adulthood a lot recently, and we've also both been seeing a lot more clients that have recently been diagnosed with ADHD. So we thought it would be really fun and helpful for our clients and all of you out there to bring an expert on the podcast to dive deeper into this topic. So in this week's episode, we're talking to Becca about how she uses the principles of intuitive eating and a weight-inclusive approach to nutrition for specifically ADHD, as well as some of the major themes that she sees connecting ADHD to disordered eating patterns. We're also talking about how executive function plays a big role in our relationship with food and how we can use a non-diet, neutral nutrition-related approach and health-promoting behaviors to support our executive function. And we also talk about why focusing on elimination-based or all-or-nothing protocols is not the move for ADHDers. Let's just jump right in, yeah. So one of the things that we've been thinking about a lot is there seems to be a lot of major themes that people who you see or clients who are struggling with ADHD um, have with food. And we'd love for you to kind of talk about what are some of those major themes that like those connections that can come together between ADHD and people struggling with food. And what, what do you see a lot? Yeah. A big one that I see, um, is eating for stimulation. So I put kind of put that in the same area as like emotional eating. So people with ADHD have lower levels of dopamine So our brains are constantly seeking dopamine um, and food is obviously a very easy and accessible source, especially carbohydrates. Um, So a lot of my clients, especially women who are diagnosed later in life, find that they'll be kind of self-medicating with food where they're like, I'm, I feel like I'm always, you know, grazing or snacking like all day long and I'm, I'm not hungry and, but I don't understand why I'm like constantly wanting food. Um, and once they either get a diagnosis or just learning that connection, like making the connection between, oh, my brain just needs dopamine and, and that being related to food, not that it's a bad thing, just like an emotional with emotional eating. I don't, I I say keeping it in as part of your toolkit, um, and then having other things that you can do. Cause a lot of times you'll find like TV, for instance, is a very understimulating activity. So a lot of my clients need something else to do while they're watching TV. And obviously food is one of those things that we'll end up like snacking and watching TV. And my clients will be like, I'm watching TV and I'm on social media and I'm eating and, you know, very disconnected from, from their bodies. And that can make it more likely to overeat or even binge just because you're so kind of tuned out. 
Um, and it can feel like for people who don't know what that might feel like for eating for stimulation, it's like almost feels like boredom eating in a way, but it's like, I need something to do with my hands or my mouth as kind of as strange as that might sound. No, that's really so. interesting. Cause I think, um, I'm like thinking about some, some different types of like situations that might be coming up. And I think one of the things that I hear a lot, and I'm wondering if you would tie it back to that is sometimes people will associate that kind of boredom eating or that like snacky, snacky, snacky kind of vibe with, um, anxiety too. And there's a lot of links back with ADHD and anxiety. Do you have some insights on there that you could share with us that can maybe put that together? Yeah. Yeah. They, people who have ADHD, there is a, there is a big correlation between ADHD and anxiety and the symptoms can be very similar. Um, but when you eat carbs in particular or sweets, you get that dopamine as well as serotonin. So that serotonin is going to give you some feelings of calmness as well. Um, so I think it can be definitely a way to kind of ease some anxiety as well. Yeah, definitely. So I want to go into binge eating a little bit more because you talk about this a lot. And us in our clinical practices, we see a lot of overlap between ADHD and binge eating too. And so the other day you had posted about how if you're struggling with binge eating and you have ADHD, it's not a lack of willpower. It's a deficit in your executive function. So if people have never heard of the term executive function before, but they're like, wait a minute, like where, you know, this could be a big thing that really unlocks a lot of doors for me. Can you talk about how executive function plays such a big role in our binge eating and relationship with food? Yeah. Yeah. So executive function is basically like being able to plan, organize, um, initiate tasks and finish them, um, being able to self-regulate as well. Um, is a big component of um, executive function. And I find that's where like the emotional regulation piece can kind of come in. Um, but a lot of times my, like it can be not eating all day or just like not having a plan. And so you might just kind of, I see a lot of my clients who don't eat enough, even if they're not on ADHD medication of not eating enough during the day. And then they get ravenous and binge in the evening time and kind of get stuck in like a in a binge restrict cycle there. And a lot of it is, you know, they might not have a plan. So they come home and they're really, really hungry. And so they don't, and they have no idea what they're going to make for dinner. So they're going to just grab whatever they can, um, or they'll start snacking and it'll just kind of, kind of go from there. Um, so I think, yeah, planning and organizing, being able to prepare a meal, um, can be a big challenge. Um, and that can definitely, I think, play into, into the binge eating aspect. Yeah, I mean, of course it would, right? Because so much of our, I mean, there's so many layers to binge eating if you have binge eating disorder, but if you definitely tend towards like um, what Dana and I, like overeating or the um, binging type episodes or even the emotional eating, it can, so much of it, like we talk about is about like making sure that you're getting consistent meals throughout the day first to make sure that like, okay, is it part of it? It's like, I call it paying the piper. Like at some point the body's like, no, 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 you gotta, you gotta pay the piper. You haven't eaten all day. So now I'm going to demand all of my caloric (laughs) needs and all of my nutrient needs now at this meal or spread throughout the evening and snack tapas and like Dana's, Dana's words and stuff. And it's just kind of funny the way you think about it that way. It's like, okay, so maybe we don't have 
like a maybe it's like an inherent like built-in mechanical thing that happens that now your body's like wait you haven't fed me all day you have to pay the piper and then now it's gonna be very loud very demanding and very much like I need to eat all of the things and it makes sense how much executive function plays such a big role in that because you have to plan out consistent eating throughout the day then you also have to plan out what am I going to eat during those meals then you have to have those meals available like all of the layers to all of the different pieces of it can be so overwhelming like even for like the average person so someone who has maybe some suppressed executive function or undernourished executive function it can feel really really overwhelming so what are some steps I've been calling them micro shifts for for people to kind of like work towards like thinking about it like don't think about the big picture let's think of like a little micro shift we can do to make consistent eating a little bit easier and to see how it plays out in the end of the day pay the piper kind of mentality what kind of advice would you give yeah I can very much relate to I like that that phrase because that was like for me that was like what got me into intuitive eating was in grad school like I was stuck in that binge restrict cycle and it was so helpful to discover intuitive eating because I was like why do I keep binge eating at night like and I was like oh I'm just not eating enough during the day. I was like, oh, my body's protecting me. Like, it's not that there's something wrong with me. It's my body is like, my biology is overriding like the way that I quote unquote think I should be eating. So, um, but some of the like micro shifts, I would say for a lot of my clients, especially with ADHD, um, interoceptive awareness, even if you're not on meds, like recognizing hunger is a big thing or they don't recognize that they're hungry until it's like, I need food right now. Um, So I usually tell my clients to set timers or reminders throughout the day just to check in with themselves. And it's not necessarily just to eat, but to practice pausing and just asking themselves, like, what do I need in this moment? Like, do I need some water? Do I need to get up and walk around? Do I need to call a friend? Do I need to eat? And just getting better, that can kind of help um, get better at checking in with ourselves. Because a lot of my clients will just go all day, like, okay, it's time to work. And do all, do all the things on my to-do list and I'm just going to get going and I go and go and go and go. And then you get to the end of the day and you're starving and you just don't even think about taking care of yourself because everything else feels so much more important on your to-do list. So that would be a huge one. Yeah. And then it's, it's even more complicated if you are struggling with these you know, what we've been talking about of like these patterns, right? And you have ADHD or even if you don't, and then you also have a history of like diet culture coming in and being like, oh, but you shouldn't eat until you're absolutely about to die of hunger, right? Which Uh, then is like, it's this really (laughs) complex interplay of like, okay, I'm already not paying great attention to my body signals. And then I feel like I don't deserve to eat or I feel like I shouldn't be eating until a certain point. But then because the executive function is at play, you don't have the tools or the systems in place to be like, okay, when I start to get hungry or even when I am really, really hungry, there's no food immediately available or maybe it's not what you want or it's maybe you've what you've not been nourishing with yourself during the day. And then no wonder we're like, must eat all the things, you know, like that gif. Yes. <laughs> I love that gif. They're like fork <laughs> in the air, eat all the things. Like it's my absolute favorite. But I feel like that's how a lot of my clients will feel at the end of the day because when they are very much in like okay we're working and we're doing this and we're doing all these other things as soon as you pick your head up you're like oh my god now my stomach feels like it's imploding on itself and I don't have food readily available I don't have a plan for how to get food anytime soon and then we're just like collapsing in on ourselves 
Yes. <laughs> yes. Or they're like, I'm going to get, you know, they're like, or whatever is quick and easy. And it might not be what actually makes them feel good or isn't like a nourishing meal for them. And they're like, this isn't what I wanted to eat. This is just what I could get into my body. Um, or they're like, I'm spending a ton of money on takeout. And then they're like, it's some laws. And they're like, it's not even that I'm mad about the takeout. It's just that I'm spending, I already have groceries in my fridge, but I'm so hungry that I can't, I can't like get the executive function to think through cooking that it's easier for me to press a button on my phone and have food delivered, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I think having quick, I call them, I don't like convenience foods. So I call them shortcuts. I don't like this. So like things that are like, that either make the cooking process easier for you or just things that you can literally grab out of your fridge or your pantry and eat so that when you are hungry, there isn't that, oh, well, I need to make a snack now, or I need to make, have all this, these steps in the process. Cause for a lot of my clients, if there's too many steps, it's like, I'm just not going to do that. So I'll just wait until later until I really, really need to eat. And then it just keeps getting worse. Yeah. And then it leads into the, all the indecision, right. And making like the decision fatigue of like, we talk about it sometimes like literally standing in front of the refrigerator and you're like, now what the hell do I do? Like there's all these, like, there's all these components, but like, how do I put them all together? And so one of the things that I've been talking about with my clients is actually making like little, little bins in the refrigerator. Like here's my, like my Greek salad bin. Here's for lunches or like, here's my, like whatever they're craving at the time. Like here's my pasta bin. Here's my snack bin of like little grab and go type things that are available. And I think that makes it a lot easier because then they have like a zone and a place where it is and it makes the decision around it so much easier. But we had. Yeah. And it's like the meal totally. kits, like, um, like people who love like all like HelloFresh and the ones that come and they're like, it's all in a bag. I just have to pull the bag out of the fridge and I can cook versus like, I need to find mm-hmm. every ingredient in the yeah. fridge or pantry. And it's funny. It's like, it's, um, like one of my clients referred to like the bins, be like, oh, that's where fruit goes to die. Like, I don't know. Like, it's just, that's where it, it dies there, you know? And they're like, I really want you to like, then why are they, why is it in the bin? Like, get it out of there. Like, so you can see it and have it available and have it there. Um, yeah. Have you guys seen the, like, there's some TikToks for ADHD of like how to organize oh gosh, your it's fridge. Groundbreaking. I absolutely love them. And I've yeah. shared them with clients. I shared them with like friends of mine. I'm like, this is, even if you don't have ADHD, I'm like, I love the way to think through it because it just makes the food so easily accessible that it takes so much of the decision out of it. And like thinking about like moving the condiments to the drawers instead and so many fun ideas. Yeah. Um, one of the things going back to the binge eating that um, that we actually had a listener like reach out because we told them that you were, you were coming on and they really yeah. want to know. So when you're having these like binge urges or they're present, what are some other ways that you can stimulate the brain rather than using food? If you have any insight there, I think the listeners would love to hear. Yeah. Anything that you enjoy is going to be something that's going to provide you dopamine or stimulation. So um, for some of my clients, depending on like if you need something to do alongside a task. So if you know like, oh, in the evenings, I typically watch TV and I, I get, I need something else to do. Like I have, I literally have like little fidgets that I keep around so that I am um, can like watch TV and just keep my hands occupied. 
Um, Cause I know I'm like, I just ate dinner. I'm not hungry. <laughs> like I know I just need something to do. Um, some of my clients, as weird as it sounds, they have little like chew necklaces. So for people who need like an oral stimulation um, and some of them are actually cute. They don't look like kid jewelry. Um, but some of my clients will use that or they'll use it like while they're working so that they have something else to do. Um, I do a lot of solo dance parties. Like movement is very good, a very good source of stimulation. So finding a form of movement that you enjoy and it doesn't have to be something, you know, doesn't have to be going to the gym or doing something crazy like that. But even if it's doing like yoga or walking your dog or something like that um, can be good sources of stimulation. A lot of some of my clients like to do like sewing or knitting or things like that as just a kind of a way again to like keep your hands occupied. There's a bunch of other like um like the little poppet things if you've ever seen those. Um, those are a good um thing that you can use. Um I get like a whole set of fidget toys. So it's like a variety <laughs> pack. So I don't get bored of one. Um, and I love that. Um, but yeah, I think getting curious, just like when we're learning how to cope with our emotions of getting curious and just exploring like, hey, what would this bring me some, you know, does this make my brain happy? Um, music is another one that can be very um, stimulating. Carbonated drinks, surprisingly, um, just because the sensory sensation of all the bubbles um, is another one. A lot of people are like, oh yeah, that's why I love carbonated water. And I'm like, yeah, it's, the bubbles make it fun and um, give you that sensory experience. Yeah, I love that. And all of those tools are great because I love the way when you frame things, and this is really similar to how we do, is like, emotional eating or binge eating or you know whatever the reason that they're being triggered are not the problem they're more of a signal that something deeper is going on right so we try we want to try and meet that deeper need rather than just shaming ourselves and saying like well I just need to stop it's like okay well first it's not that easy <laughs> like, that's not how it works <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah if we wanted to though there wouldn't be a problem exactly we wouldn't be here um but so let's Let's lean into nutrition a little bit more, right? You were talking about how there are all these yeah. TikToks and, you know, articles and stuff like how to organize your fridge for ADHD, right? Super practical stuff. So can you talk a little bit more about nutrition-related behaviors that can help manage ADHD? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of the nutrition recommendations are not very glamorous in the sense that, like, it's pretty much like what we recommend as like gentle nutrition for most people it's just being able to actually do the thing is a lot of times what the challenge is is like actually being able to you know get in all of the things that we that we need to um there are some there are a couple nutrients that in particular that can be helpful for um adhd so omega-3s are a huge one um that's probably the most widely researched like supplement or nutrient to focus on that has been shown to help with adhd um, I use it as my excuse to eat sushi a couple times a month because um, I can get the um, cold water fish tends to be one of the best sources for in terms of um, the ratio of EPA and DHA in cold water fish is what's been shown to help with ADHD. So not that like plant-based sources aren't necessarily bad, but they just don't have the same added benefits. So <clears throat> those would, I would say that. And managing blood sugar as well. Um, because when you have big peaks and dips in your blood sugar, um, that's when a lot of you'll notice more symptoms, um, ADHD symptoms. So just trying to eat consistently throughout the day, even if you don't struggle with binge eating, but being able to, I find can really help, um, with managing your energy level, being able to focus better and all of that. 
and just to like a lot of people demonize sugar, which drives me nuts with, with ADHD. Um, and I usually am like, I'm not going to tell you you can't ever have sugar because that's just unrealistic. And um, and a, it's like a lot of doctors. I appreciate there's some doctors in the ADHD community who are like, it's silly to say you're not going to eat sugar because like if your brain is craving sugar for dopamine, eating a salad's just not going <laughs> to do the trick. And I'm like, thank you because like you rarely hear that from a lot of doctors. I feel like are not in that mindset with things. Um, so it's nice to see that, but it is for me. I do the same thing of like if you're going to have some something really sweet. Not that it's bad, but maybe add some protein and fat there just to, or eat it alongside a meal or something like that. If you notice sugar really impacts your symptoms or something like that, instead of trying to eliminate it, because once you try to cut it out, that's when you're probably going to start craving it more and ending up overeating or binging when you do have it. So yeah, I really love that, um, that you're normalizing it so much too, because I think there are, there's so much stuff out there. If you start Googling like nutrition for ADHD, it's like, eliminate all these foods like so, so restrictive. restrictive and it's just <laughs> and then there, there are people putting it on children which is just like oh god no please don't do this and then and that's like where all of the re- like there is no actual dietary interventions in adults with ADHD or I have never seen any studies so it's all like cross-sectional studies of like what do adults with ADHD eat but it doesn't like actually look at you know does this diet or does this elimination help with adults? So it's mostly in kids and a lot of the studies are not very well designed um, and they eliminate a bunch of things all at once. So you don't really know if um, which thing might be helping and the parents typically, parents and teachers in these studies because they use teachers to look at their kids' behaviors too, aren't blinded in a lot of these studies. So like they know when the kid is on a specialized diet so that there's a huge bias there because a lot of parents are going to be like that because they do that you know like oh when my kid eats sugar they're bouncing off the walls and it's like well every kid that eats sugar bounces off the walls <laughs> like that's a very very normal you know um response to it so I think if there's just not enough research I get a lot of people who are like well maybe it'll help and I'm like maybe but is it really worth potentially giving a kid an eating disorder um when they grow up or is it really worth all the effort to like read every single food label potentially have to cook and prepare most of your meals and snacks from scratch because a lot of them don't um recommend cutting out processed foods and things like that so it's like you're putting a lot of work on yourself and it's expensive for a lot of those diets you have to have a lot of privilege to be able to prepare all those meals from scratch and be able to buy organic and grass-fed and all of these things that cost a lot more money. So it might not be realistic or feasible for a lot of people. And then there's all the guilt and shame that follows if, especially for parents, if they're like, oh, well, I can't do this diet that people say I should do for my kid. It's not feasible for me. And then you feel bad about it. Well, then also going back to executive function, like- Yeah, and a lot of, there's a genetic component with ADHD. So a lot of parents of kids, like a lot of kids who have ADHD, their parents have it or they're like, or they haven't been diagnosed yet. And so you're like, why are you putting, it's always blows my mind. Cause like psychologists write a lot of these like nutrition recommendations for ADHD. And I'm like, you guys also realize that parents probably have it too. And like, this is a lot of work, like already having kids, like raising children is a lot of work and doing these crazy 
diets that might like a big might in bowls like might help um seems like a lot of work for potentially not getting a lot out of it right and then when you go back to the executive function piece we're already having trouble with all of these different steps and now we're adding additional rules and steps and everything of like oh this would be a really great convenience food that I don't have to worry about you know like cooking for you know 20 30 minutes or whatever to get food on the table oh no no no! now you can't eat that because it has you know this in it and it has this in it which just it's a lot or there's kids, like especially kids tend to have more sensory issues with food. And a lot of the foods that they recommend eliminating might be some of the only foods those kids will eat. And so you're like potentially putting them in a really tricky spot where it's like, oh, we're cutting out dairy, but you know, Johnny can only tolerate cheese. Like maybe his meds make it to where like he can really only eat like cheese or maybe he has like milkshakes or something to help him get his nutrition in. And it's like, oh, well, he can't have that anymore. And it's like, well, now what is he supposed to eat if he refuses to eat anything else? Yeah, and then there's also research too about isolating children from other food groups, um, from food groups and actually having long-term, um, not just like eating disorder behaviors, but actual physical um, food intolerances and allergies later on in life when you remove something, which is why, like, which is really interesting too, especially with children. So like anytime someone's considering like removing a food from a kid, um, when I'm talking to clients of mine about it, I'm always like, what thread are we pulling and how much is this actually going to help? Like, is this actually relevant for them? And what are we really doing here? Because there are so many ways. And I think a lot of times too, Dan and I talk about this as well is everything you just mentioned for nutrition related things that you can do to help with ADHD can be added in, you know, we don't have to remove anything. It's all things to add in. You don't have to take away their favorite, like their favorite snack bar or their favorite candy or whatever. Just add protein with it too. serve them M&Ms with a cheese stick (laughs) that they like. They're already eating and it's good to go. Like serve the things together, provide it to them that way. Make sure they have a water bottle available when they're doing stuff making sure we have their meals like eating eating more um eating consistently and managing it that way i think sometimes what can happen is sometimes when you do one of those types of protocols or something like that and we see this with adults too but when you do that a lot of times we end up giving so much of the credit to the things that we removed when really it's probably they're starting to eat more consistently <laughs> they probably started being hydrated and they were eating more protein <laughs> it's like well if you just and they were probably eating more omega omega 3 rich foods so if you just added those things in instead of taking away a bunch of stuff making life harder on yourself harder on your kid harder on them socially like all the different pieces this goes for every adult listening to this too like you don't have to remove a bunch of stuff just think about what you can add in and that's where I think about the micro shifts a lot of times with ADHD of thinking about it that way of saying, okay, why does it have to be an overhaul? It doesn't have to be an overhaul. It can be just one minor thing I'm going to work on this week. I'm going to try to eat in the morning. I'm going to try to eat something first thing in the yeah. morning. Yeah. Like I'm just going to have something in the morning, whether even if it's not a full breakfast, like if I've never, if you're someone who never eats breakfast, it's like one of my clients this week was like, this week I just had something in the morning, like, and I normally never eat breakfast. And she's like, and it was so I had so much more energy just having even just just starting off the day with a banana or something like that. And they're like, that was just a start of me like starting to teach my body to eat in the morning and noticing that hey, it actually does make a yeah, difference absolutely. in how I feel. So one of you we've kind of danced around it a little bit, but I would like to hear maybe more specifically, but what foods actually stimulate the brain and can actually help with concentration specifically? So 
really carbs and sugar are going to like, and sweets really are going to be the primary source. So, and like a lot of kids, like, it's funny. I have some parents I work with who they'll be like, yeah, my son, like I have to bring a snack for him when he takes like tests or things like that. So he can like stimulate himself while he's eating or like while he's doing his exams. So he can actually like pay attention better and focus better. Um, Omega-3s have been shown to help with, um, with concentration and hyperactivity and being able to focus as well. Um, I'm trying to think there's, for some reason, crunchy foods, not that there's, there's no science behind this one, but like crunchy foods in particular, I think it's just the sensory experience. A lot of my clients find crunchy foods very stimulating. Um, I can't find any research behind why, but I think it's just the sensory experience because they're like, I have some clients, they, one of them termed it the crunch factor because they're like, I'm not satisfied with a meal if there's not some crunchy aspect to it. Like if I have a sandwich, the bread has to be toasted or like if like I need something that's crunchy or I like still have this urge to continue eating after I've had a meal that like fills me up physically, but there's still like this mental piece with wanting to eat. And it's like, once I add something crunchy, I'm good. And I was like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> so yeah. Um, for some people, I would say those are probably the main ones that help with focus, but I think too, it's not like, it's just like superfoods with things. Like, I think there isn't necessarily anything, um, that's like a magical food. Cause I get that, like, what's the best food for st like stimulation. And I'm like, there really isn't like a super food that's going to help you focus or something like that. So I think also too, like, on the line of that superfood idea, like we would like, of course, we want to have something that we can just be like, this is the answer to all of my problems. If I do this one thing, everything's going to be great. And then I won't have to work with this anymore. And I'll have amazing concentration and focus for the remainder of my life. Yay. Right. But then at the same time, you have to think too, just simply eating consistently helps with concentration. Like, like you need like, I like I'll say like over and over again, energy begets energy. So if we're not giving ourselves any energy, we're not going to be able to focus and have concentration and doing all the things too. So sometimes I think it's easy for us to really think about, um, I want to have like a very clear list of things because it helps provide like a guardrail, right? Of like, oh, here's what I'm doing. But sometimes it's as simple as, oh, I need to eat consistently in order to have concentration, to have energy to have concentration so I think that's like a big thing too and I've noticed as well and I think um it'd be interesting to have some insight from you too of like why do we think that people with ADHD are more prone to really strict all or nothing protocols sometimes and really looking for like the question itself is so great of like what helps like what can I do like so I'd love to hear your thoughts on like yes. why are they more prone to that yeah there is a, for a lot of black and white thinking is a part of ADHD. So it's not just with food, but like a lot of aspects for people and that have ADHD just view life as very, very black and white and finding that gray area is really challenging. And a lot of people with ADHD can also be perfectionist. So that can kind of play into that all or none sort of thinking where it's like, I'm either doing all of the things or I'm doing none of the things. Um, or I need to be doing all of these things a certain specific way, or I'm doing it completely wrong. Um, and I think, yeah, it can be easy to get stuck in that black and white thinking. And it's almost, it can feel comfortable, right? It's, it's almost sometimes more comfortable sometimes to have 
those rules. A lot of times I think that's why dieting can be appealing to us because it, it is specific rules and outlines and it's very like quote unquote easy in the sense that you have like very specific parameters to follow versus like just listen to your body and go with what your body is telling you and let your body guide you and it's like that's just so counter to what we've always been told our whole lives that it feels very foreign and it's like no like for me even when I first learned of intuitive eating I was like this is woo woo like you cannot listen to your body like this is insane and then I was like started thinking about it more and more and like it was seeing more dietitians on Instagram when I was in grad school being like, oh, like maybe I should try this. Like, I think they might be onto something. And like, I was like, had more and more experiences. I was like, oh yeah, I can really listen to what my body is telling me and not just having to listen to this like external guide of like the good foods or the bad foods, or am I, you know, meeting all of these sometimes crazy rules <laughs> that exist in certain diets. Yeah, so. I mean, it does make a lot of sense because when, again, going back to the executive function, it's like it's really hard to do all of the steps that even have to lead up to eating, let alone like making all of the decisions along the way, right? Even when you have the foods available and maybe even cooked, it's like, okay, well, what, you know, what do I want to eat? And so when you have a set list of rules, it may be really appealing for all perfectionists out there because it's like, all, all I have to do is follow this list. There's a yes and there's a no. And all I have to do is go to the green category, right? But then, you know, that what you were talking about of like, learning to listen to your body and being not only more intuitive but accepting that the signals that your body is sending you are the right signals for you right because I think there is especially in the stages of like early diagnosis or like especially with parents of like who don't know what the diagnosis is yet it's that okay, you know, once we come to terms with this and we're thinking about it, and if you get to the point where you're trying to learn to listen to your body and tune in, there's almost this perception of like, but the signals that my body is sending me with ADHD are not the same as everybody else. So should I really be listening to those? Because they're different. Yeah. 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 Like a lot of my clients are like, will be like, I can't be hungry like at this time or this this sign can't be hunger. And I'm like, but it could be like, you know, like it might, it's, you know, most, it's not necessarily, we're not just going to experience like hunger in our stomach. And a lot of people forget that I think, or that it might show up differently for you. Like for me, a hunger cue, especially when I take my ADHD medication is like, I get very, um, I think my internet speed is getting slow and I like want to throw my computer across the room because I'm like, like on Canva making like, uh, like image, like making something for Instagram. And I'm like, it won't go in the right spot. And it's driving me nuts. And then I'm like, Becca, when's the last time you ate? And I'm like, it's, it's time, it's time to take a break and eat something. Guys, I just was laughing because Christina and I, me in particular struggle with this so much every time we'll be working for like a few hours together and you know like i'm so pissed i'm like why don't we break for a snack <laughs> and then we'll come back to it and you're like i don't know why i'm angry at the world like nothing's going on or like i'll get really overwhelmed and i'm like you're just sitting in your apartment doing some light work like there's no pressure here like there's no one even around and i'm like oh, you're hungry. And like my, one of my best friends was talking about that. She's like, I keep realizing that like, it's not that I'm having anxiety during the day. It's just like, I'm just hungry. And like, I, but my body doesn't give me the, like, I'm hungry message. It's like the world's like 
So there's <laughs> impending doom coming and I don't know what to do. And it's like, oh, I just need to eat a snack. And I'm <laughs> it's okay funny. Now. Like, um, I'll, I'll notice it for myself. Like I'll rage text my husband about something. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I just need to go. Ha-. He'll literally sometimes even mention me like, have you taken a break yet? Like, why don't you go do something? Go, go chill out for a minute. Have a little snack. Relax. And it's really funny to me, like thinking about that. Oh my God. If you guys could see this on video, just cracking up. Dana has been like bellowing over. And <laughs> my laughter. face turns so red. But it's also like a little bit of behind the scenes, right? So, I mean, even now we're recording like around lunchtime, right? So, Christina and I have a standing call every Monday and Friday, and we generally record from like the morning until around lunchtime. But sometimes we're like really absorbed in a podcast conversation or we're like going to town on whatever we're working on. And then eventually it's like, we both start to get like really anxious or I feel like the walls are closing in on me or I'm just like, I can feel the hunger, but we can't stop working because we're both in the same like brain wavelength right now. But then it's like, eventually we get to the point where we're like, we, we need to stop or this is not going to go well. <laughs> yeah, usually I'll just stop listening. Dana will ask me a question. I'll be like, I have no idea what just happened. Like, I'm totally <laughs> blocked out. Yeah. It's like I'm seeing their mouth move, but the words are not coming into my brain and Nothing's... getting processed. And it's just like it's like the oh, it's a little cartoon Charlie yes. Brown, like the adults <laughs> when they're talking. Yeah, and you're like mm. there's like no absorption yeah. of any of the information that's coming in. It's just like bing bonging through my ears and like going right throughout. It's really it's really funny, um, but I think it is interesting to think about like recognizing your hunger. I think another thing too that can be really complicated. When you have, you know, like um, executive function, like difficulty, or you have ADHD, or you're diagnosed with ADHD, or anything like that, when you hear the words intuitive eating, like you said, like your response was like, no, that's some woo woo nonsense. Like that's not something you can do. I think part of it too is that something, some of the things you need to do to support your ADHD are very intentional. So intuitive eating can feel really like, well, if I listened to my body, I would not eat all day long and then binge eat on pasta and cupcakes at night and then make, you know, hot chocolate at 3 a.m. Like that's probably not the best route to go for feeling like my best self every day. So then how do I then be a little intentional at the same time? And like, so I could see how someone could hear that and be like, what kind of nonsense sorcery is this like you can do that like yes because they just think of it just in the intuition piece like if I just listen to my body versus like the logic component that is also like a part of intuitive eating is like logically we know like how important eating consistently throughout the day is and logically we know if if I wait all day to eat I'm gonna binge eat at night then obviously there's things that need to be put in place to help you kind of shift that so you can eat consistently throughout the day, you know, because that's even for people like, well, I just do intermittent fasting because I'm not like hungry. And I'm like during the day and I'm like, but you're binge eating at night. So like, you're just putting a fancy name on, on your binge eating in the evening. So it sounds like, so it just like justifies that I can do this thing, even though you might notice feeling a lot better if you're, you're eating consistently throughout the day and, you know, giving your brain and body fuel during the day versus just waiting until this like little window of time that you're Yeah, I think that's eat. such a good point. I have heard that so many times with in, um, intermittent fasting where people will say like, my body just naturally does it. I'm like, 
but it doesn't naturally do it. It's just you've gotten conditioned to do it that way and you've been focused on other things throughout the day that you don't realize that you're hungry. And then all of a sudden you get to this window. I remember one time I had a client who was doing intermittent fasting and they're like, my window's at 11 a.m., but every day at 10.30, I'm hungry. I'm like, then freaking eat at 10.30. Like, no, like there's no <laughs> intermittent fasting police who's going to come in here and, like, strike down your house. Like, like, like it's okay. Like, 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 eat earlier. Like, your body's hungry. Like, but it is interesting how there is this kind of thought of, around doing that of like, oh, this is just how my body works. And it's like, well, no, there's a logical, intentional part too of like, no, you're not supposed to fast for 16, 18 hours. Like that's not how the body and our hormones function. Also too, thinking about it, like from a stimulating perspective too, you're going that long without stimulating dopamine or serotonin at any point in time. Imagine how much worse your ADHD and executive function is going to be working if you're fasting for so long. So it like completely is counterintuitive to everything that we know about how to stimulate the brain, keep up with their concentration, and being able to nourish our executive function. <laughs> and it defeats the purpose. So yeah. it's just kind of funny to me like, how we get sucked into yeah. stuff. It is. Yeah. And once you start eating more consistently throughout the day, it's always funny to for people like to be like, like one of my clients, like being hangry was her big hunger cue. And she's like, I'm just, ha- I'm not, I'm not angry all the time anymore. <laughs> like, this is really awesome. And I was like, yeah, it's nice to not like, just be frustrated at everything that's going on around you because you need some food. Yeah. And I mean, so when you guys were talking and you're like, oh, my body just naturally does intermittent fasting. It's like, oh, so what you're telling me is you're just running off of cortisol, your primary stress hormone. Anytime anyone is like, oh, I do intermittent fasting. I'm like, I'll see you in a couple of months when you have adrenal fatigue and you're Googling what to do. And it comes to my website, basically. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is one. That one always gets me. That one. that diet I'm like how did this one even I guess it is just a fancy binge eating yeah and I mean people like to have labels for stuff right so if people have never been like a big breakfast eater and when all of us growing up had always heard you know with like the food pyramid and everything oh breakfast is the most important meal of the day and everything then people thought they were probably like weird for not being big breakfast eaters or whatever whenever that started and maybe they're not hungry in the morning but there's probably a reason for that it's not usually just oh this is how I am you know so then when we look into okay well you know again like Christina was saying with her client Sure, if you don't get hungry until like 8 a.m. or something, no one's forcing you to eat beforehand. But if your, you know, quote, window is I'm not supposed to eat until like 11 or 12 or something, but your body is sending you maybe not super like, here's another question. It's like maybe they just can't hear their body's hunger signals or they don't know what their body's hunger signals are, right? Maybe you don't get like the stomach growling. Maybe you get a bunch of these other signals that we've been talking about. So then really... By listening to some external rule, you're going against what your body is trying to tell you. Then your body learns, oh, we don't listen to the internal cues and signals. And then more cortisol and literally just insert everything that we've talked about in this conversation so far. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I'm just going to stop. It's like, message isn't getting delivered. We're just going to stop sending 
you the message and and then it can feel like oh yeah this is just how I am or you eat a lot in the evening time and you binge eat in the evening and you're like well I'm just not hungry in the morning so I just don't eat but then I keep the cycle perpetuates itself it's kind of and they're like it's it's crazy at first I know for me of like definitely an undergrad tried to do that with like oh I binge so I should like wait as long as possible to eat and then the cycle would just keep repeating itself. I was like, what the heck? And then finally I was like, all right, we're just eating breakfast at the <laughs> normal time, like at a normal time in the morning. And we're not waiting until like it's lunchtime practically and to eat breakfast when you've been up since like seven in the morning. <laughs> yeah, again, I think it, I think what's so refreshing about this too, and I think anyone who's listening to this ADHD or not can understand that there's so much like we do so many things to go against the logic and what our bodies actually needs and talks about so many times. And each time we do that, we're turning off the signals of saying, hey, don't send me that signal anymore because I'm not going to listen to you anyways. But really, the more and more you that's what makes it so difficult when you're first starting out with this is like, oh, wait, wait, what? I'm not hungry in the morning, but I have to eat now. Like, how do I do that? And I think you gave such a great, really practical action item that someone can do to start eating consistently. And that's literally just have a banana, just have a granola bar, just have something in the morning and just see what happens over time and use that one little piece to kind of like step you over into, okay, I'm going to do what I can to stop this restrictive and then binging like paying the piper at the end of the day type of cycle that we fall into and are really difficult so what can I do to have something available to me that's easily accessible that makes it easy that I can literally bring to my desk or bring on my walk you know to the you know to work or the drive to work that makes it really easy for me just to get something in I think that's so important I love that that you really talk about there's like this piece of, yeah, we need to listen intuitively, but at the same time, there's also very logical pieces that have to play a role that have to be brought into the equation if we want to work on this and get the support we actually need. Yeah. And even logic, like for my clients on medication, for instance, might really not feel hungry during the day. And I'm like, but logically we know, and that's when I'm like, practical hunger is huge if you are on ADHD medication, because you might not physically be hungry, but you know that you might, you need to eat during the day. And like, you can't just run on your, you can't rely on your ADHD medication to like fuel you through the day. Cause that's not, it's just, you're not going to get as much of the benefits of your medication if you're not eating. Oh, because so. you're on an appetite suppressant? <laughs> yeah. We didn't even go into medication today, which I, you probably yeah. don't have time for. I do find, yeah, I do find though with meds, it's just learning those signs of hunger outside of of you know stomach hunger that can be huge of like oh I get a headache every afternoon at, you know or um or all the other signs that we've already talked about of honing in on some of those because that can be where you might experience hunger and like a lot of my clients will notice like I'm just like we have to differentiate when you're on your medication versus off your medication of what are my hunger cues a lot of times unless like initially you might really have like completely suppressed appetite but over time a lot of times it becomes easier to pick up on hunger cues as your body gets adjusted to it and again if it is a priority for you to nourish your body it makes it so much easier to like listen to it or to at least honor that practical hunger piece of like 
yeah, I'm not really hungry, but like, I do know that I need to <laughs> eat lunch. Um, and that makes it just a little bit better. Yeah. Christina, do you have anything else you wanted to say? No, I think we've really covered so many mm-hmm. things. Um, and I'm, I just really love this conversation overall. And I feel like there's so few people really talking about ADHD in this lens and having a non-diet perspective that it's just so unbelievably refreshing to, to have you on and be talking about it and, and being able to really provide practical tools for so many people that can relate to this. What, like I said, what, like throughout the episode, you've said, whether you have ADHD or not, like this is so practical and the realities is of just making food and life much more easily accessible to you to make eating consistently and having those logical health promoting behaviors be part of your everyday life. And I would love for you to share with us like, you know, where people can find you, anything that you have going on, any offers that you have, stuff that, you know, resources, all of the things we would love for you to share. Yeah. I have one last thing that I will say with, I think intuitive eating for people with ADHD, one of the reasons it is really great, or even if you don't have ADHD, is that it removes the like how you should do things and allows you to figure out a way of eating that does work best for you without the guilt and shame of, am I doing this right? Or am I doing this wrong? And I think that can be very nice for people with ADHD. Even if you don't have ADHD, I think that's another reason intuitive eating can be so great for everyone is there isn't, it isn't, this one way you have to do things. And if not, (laughs) it's your fault (laughs) kind of thing. Um, But I am primarily on Instagram. I'm at ADHD.nutritionist. If you're interested in working with me, I do offer a free 30 minute um, discovery call. And the link is in my Instagram bio. I offer a 10 week small group coaching program right now. That's basically a crash course in intuitive eating, but kind of looking at it through the lens of having ADHD. Thank you so much. And we'll share. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. Awesome conversation. Thank you. Hey friends, it's Dana. And thanks for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your family and friends. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you can, we would absolutely love it if you left a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps spread the word so more people can find the show and learn how to break out of diet culture, the body image spiral, and find a more peaceful relationship with food in their bodies with wholehearted eating. If you're interested in learning more about how you can work with me or Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling or checking out our self-paced courses, head over to wholeheartedeating.com. And we'll see you again here next week.